When you have a feeling of deja vu at the collective bargaining table, it's That's So MLS. A North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello, happy new year, happy post-holidays, happy 2021, are we doing that? Let's, uh, greetings, greetings, let's just say that, greetings. Greetings. Welcome back. Yes, absolutely. Uh... Don Garber will tell you up and down how challenging it was, but what a great achievement it was that they that anybody got soccer together at all. But that's kind of the new hopes and prayers, isn't it? Maintaining labor peace—that's impossible. Yeah, apparently. For so we we are we are in the interregnum period between seasons, but uh, but we could we are also in the interregnum period between uh, CBAs because. MLS has triggered the force majeure clause that it bargained to include in the new collective bargaining agreement when it uh, when it sort of agreed the the changes for return to play. Mm-hmm. Um, the which essentially allows it to go back into negotiations in good faith. Uh, before I guess bargaining in bad faith? Question mark? Question mark? Question mark? <laughs> um, which allowed it to, which allow it essentially to say, uh, we are going to have to negotiate on. We have thirty days, days to negotiate on something, um, and if we can't make our agreements in thirty days, then we have the right to terminate the CBA, which means lockout or strike time, which would be wild. Um, the big thing that people are talking about that they're going to want in this process is um, cuts to player salaries. Uh, because they say that, uh, you know, they've lost uh, nearly $1 billion. Um, and and uh, they say that they want more than the 5% cut that they got at the last renegotiation that took place midway through the last season. Um, and it's a challenging situation because, of course, any sports league is not going to be taking in revenue if they're not going to be selling tickets or whatever, but... But in, in um, as Jeff Reuter and Matt Pence, the athletic you know report, players kind of feel that that uh, and felt in the last negotiations that it's players who make players who make five figure salaries are being asked in some way to shoulder the challenge, the the shoulder these financial challenges. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's also three MLS teams up for sale. It's a it's a rickety we're we're in a rickety situation. We are, and I don't want to like get too pulled away from the specifics of this, and obviously the specific context of talking about soccer. But it it's really hard to not feel like we're heading into uh, a year or years now where like last year was the big spending and the like. Let's see what we can make happen. But the now the financial realities of coming home to roost and that we have a, a really long road ahead of uh, a vaccine rollout. And, like, thank God we've got some light at the end of the tunnel to, to hope for. But I also don't want to distract from the fact that there was an agreement in place. And so where yes. myself and I think a lot of others, including uh, a lot of members of the MLS Players Association, are confused is... Well, we have an agreement in place. And so how That's is right. it good faith to essentially threaten to rip that up and throw it out? And 
you're doing that all after you've also just made the decision to start the season at in March when you would usually start it. So it really feels like the in good faith part is in words only and MLS is coming in guns blazing trying to force players into something into a new agreement when they have an agreement in place. Also, so NBA, the, of course, NBA salaries are in no way, they're just in a completely different stratosphere. So the NBA stars did take a 25% pay cut. But putting that to the side, I was, I was sort of did a little look around at the other, you know, big leagues. And it's like, um, most of the other leagues couldn't get, you know, MLS took a 5%, MLS players took a 5% pay cut. Most of the other leagues couldn't get any pay cut. Baseball could not get any pay cut. They they proposed, base. Well, I think it was like baseball proposed thirty percent and got zero. Uh, and NHL proposed twenty percent or ten percent or twenty percent and got zero. Mm-hmm. So it's like MLS, even though five percent doesn't seem like a big number, it is a, a far greater uh, proportion of, of salary cuts than some of their uh, their colleagues in more financially uh, moneyed leagues. Mm-hmm. It's true. And, like, obviously, I don't have great insight to the financials of MLS, but uh, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like you want to weigh in, and also it's not my career that's on the line. It's not my health that's on the line. In theory, sure, yes. pay cuts are a thing that um, I think a lot of us would be considering in our field if it meant that other people could keep their jobs or that we all collectively got to keep doing what we're doing, um, you know, but to but to a limit. But it really feels like that wasn't sort of the initial reasoning given by MLS to uh, invoke this clause. And so I guess what I'm I'm sort of not really understanding is it, it it's not really clear to me. It's not clear and obvious what MLS's hope with this n- next round of talks is other than kind of forcing the players' hands. Um, and if it were just a case of trying to, you know, get bring those salary figures down a little bit more, then it, to me, in good faith, would mean you would approach them through the appropriate channels and say that, and say that, you know, we're facing a financial reality that we need to be considering deeper pay cuts than what we initially had bargained for. Um, and, and of course, like, I don't know what all the conversations were. It just, no part of this feels in good faith um, mm-hmm. and certainly seemed to come as a, a big surprise for the MLS Players Association. There's a good, uh, you know, the, the source in the athletic article says, you know, um, if this was a real cash flow issue for them, then they would be adjusting the way they're spending on players. And it's true. We kind of, we, we see that in a lot of labor disputes in sports where it's like, uh, in no way does any sort of financial difficulties at the league level actually mean that clubs pay less mm-hmm. in, in, in their, they, they manage their, their own specific pocketbooks any differently than they might have done otherwise. Yeah. Um, but you're right that there is just like, we don't know what they're going to ask for until they ask for it. So, well, and, we, it, and it seems that every indication would be Don Garber's whole line has just been like, well, they're going to push for as much as they can. So they're going to try to get larger pay cuts. They're going to try to start the season on time. They're going to do 
whatever they can to force teams to be largely responsible for their own venues and keeping things safe. Like, for me, this feels like the league, in a way, trying to sort of hand it back to the teams and say, okay, you remember all that stuff we did for you during the year? Well, we ain't going to be doing that again. So there's not going to be a bubble tournament that you can use as a vehicle to get your team back up to speed Mm -hmm. um, and compete for something extra. Like, for me, that's what the tone feels a lot like, that it it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with this. And outside of outside of the the labor negotiations, I mean, like I think that we have a we we hit a fairly steady drumbeat with this. But um, I felt the same way with NHL season two. You know, to to do re- return to play is one thing, but to try and sort of get to the a quote unquote new normal um, before vaccines are widely distributed. Um, the option, like the safe option, is a bubble tournament. If you want to talk about the the owners losing uh, nearly one billion, it's like well, twenty percent of people got. If you if you want to adjust, uh, if you want to look at the safety of running regular season market games, um, the nearly twenty percent of players got coronavirus number. Well, and you know. There's so many different ways that we could look at this, and I, I don't want to go down all of them, but it's sort of like the the landlord argument. It's like, okay, I understand that owners have lost a lot of money. Well, you invested in a major sports franchise, which are not traditionally known for their high returns. <laughs> and also, like, nobody forced you to buy an MLS club. So, yes, you're going to hemorrhage money, and I'm assuming you're going to have to come up with creative ways to do that. I imagine teams are putting a lot of pressure on the league for... Uh, ways to help out as well. Obviously, MLS is different because the league has an ownership stake in all of the teams as well, or a majority for a couple of clubs right now. Um, However, that's part of the assumed risk. And so for me, it's it's like, well, you, you have no problem raking in staggering amounts of money for things. But then when times are tough, it's like, well... Now it's got to cost everybody else something. It's like, well, and I, I get, I get that we were talking about an unprecedented amount of loss of revenue. I, I get that. I understand that we we could be talking about survival of the league or not. However, it, there just seems to be so little transparency or so little reason given, and and or clear like, what's the objective with this here? Um. And then with what you're talking about is also the risk to the players. Um, the yeah. backdrop for all of this is that COVID-19 is out of control across Canada and the United States and has been getting steadily worse, exponentially worse, this entire time. So if we're hurtling towards a quote-unquote regular season and starting in March, like we're, we're not. We're objectively not in any way moving towards that. And And I find this really this disconnect between reality and this sort of envisioned hope for sports operating normally, it, it's just really disconcerting. Um, and I think it has yeah. a, a larger effect as well because it, it lulls people into a sense of like, oh, well, you know, like MLS, NHL, they're all starting back up again. So things are got to be okay. I'm not saying it's the sole public health responsibility of professional sports franchises to manage that, 
but it does have a public image piece as well. Um, and I think that, like, if you look at the movement, though, like, I wouldn't move too far off from the 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 public health um, duty of a public sport of a, of a sports franchise because if you look at how bad things got with college sports in the states, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, if you look at their, you know, in in some small way, it's like even the CHL teams mm-hmm. have have had an impact on the Atlantic bubble, right? Like the the and 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 had had a, have had an impact on some of the the, the teams in which they live, um, or 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 I think that that in in some way I don't know if the if it's direct or indirect, but it's like you know there there has been movement related to sports has had an impact on the communities in which they uh in which they live and you know it's just again to head into a regular season and say you have a one in five chance of getting it yeah. if we do home market yeah just, and I, I think we're just we're so incredibly lucky too that you know we didn't like knock on wood we didn't have any players die from this or get seriously sick and you know and families as well like Sure, players are operating somewhat in a bubble, and I, I get that they had to spend a long time apart from their families. But if we're heading into a year with a quote-unquote regular season, um, you know, and we're asking players to, you know, remain apart from their families again, but like, there's just no once you ha- factor in people flying around and going back home and stuff like that, you it's just too much spread, like. It, it's completely disambiguated from what everybody's being asked to do. And with the virus so out of control and so rampant in the community, um, you really just because you're, you know, going home and staying in a relatively small circle doesn't necessarily guarantee you a lot of safety. Um, oh. I think that people in, in, it remains to be seen, you know, you said it off the top of, you know, the greetings in 2021. I think a lot of, I think a lot of sports franchises and entertainment franchises or, or, or entertainment businesses or whatever, you generally have to do your planning one to three years in advance. Yeah, so, of course. So, you know, festivals have their lineups announced for this year. Oceaga has its lineup for next year, but will it happen? Um, This is... This is some of the challenges that we get into, and, and and unfortunately, MLS wants to have that happen sooner than later. Um, the twenty twenty the twenty twenty season, however, since the last time we spoke to you, had one more game in it. <laughs> the never Although, the season that never ends finally ended. Uh, well, Itch. I mean, we could say that, but I also did. A, I also made a list in in a in a fever dream. <laughs> In a in a fever dream list, we will be dealing with the 2020 season as late as November 2021. Right. Because because so we had the Champions League final on uh what number whatever what a day was it now the the 24th no, the 22nd 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 um the also scheduled to wrap up in December were the the leagues in Ecuador, Colombia, Paraguay, and Bolivia. Uh, and then in, in, in our, in our month where we are now, you know, uh, uh, Japanese, uh, the, the Emperor's cup, the J league cup, the French trophy, champion, 
the Supercoppa Italiana, the Copa Sudamericana, which is like the UEFA Cup for South America, mm-hmm. uh, is going to take place in January. CONCACAF League, the 2020 CONCACAF League is... is uh, uh, oh, yeah the, yeah, the 2020 CONCACAF League final hasn't happened yet. So that's being awarded in January. But we also have major... In terms of other major stuff, we have uh, the Copa Libertadores has not happened yet. Um, the the Champions League for South America, the uh, the FIFA Club World Cup has not happened yet. The Euro twenty twenty has not happened yet, and the Olympics has not happened yet, and the Canadian Championship. So, can I just point out too that like we full on just like quote unquote postponed an Olympics and no one cared. Like, yep, we can do that. We can just be like. You, it, it's not it's just not gonna happen <laughs> like in 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 august everybody is gonna be saying like you know people are joking about wanting to leave 2020 behind and in august of this year people are gonna be walking around with with tokyo 2020 shirts yeah um not likely so there's a there's quite a lot there's a there's quite when i say the 2020 season is ending there's a lot more of 2020 left to go. However, but... there was a game that gave <laughs> us some sense of closure to the year, and that was the final for the CONCACAF Champions League. LAFC, by tooth and nail, scraped themselves into the final against Tigres, and what a game it was. It's true. I think that this was, a you know, after um, after all of the... The thrills and spills against Cruz Azul, or after beating Leon, Cruz Azul, and Club America, um, you had to think, could this, could this be it? Are they doing this thing? Did we have to think that? <laughs> well, I mean, like, part of the thing that I, I think that the, although in the eight-team version, when it was the Champions Cup, we had a couple MLS winners. Uh, the expanded edition of the tournament has not seen an MLS winner. And so I think that there is, you can, you can debate whether or not you feel any sort of league loyalty on this point. Um, but I think that there were some people that were hungry to see um, an American winner. Um, I Doubtlessly. I'm, I'm not debating whether or not people thought that it was going to happen. I just <laughs> questioning any real possibility of it having actually happened. Well, what I think that people, what I think got people the most excited is when there was the, um, the sniff of the possibility of, uh, Gignac's absence. Yeah. When, when there was a, when there was the talk that he might not be able to take play, take part. I mean, that was when I thought, you know, this could, this could be happening. If, if, you know, the Weirder things certainly happened in, in 2020. So, I mean, Orlando made the playoffs, so why couldn't LAFC win this one? Um, <laughs> I mostly just resented having to care. Uh, <laughs> I was like, can I get away with not watching it? And I was like, oh, I can't because there's no MLS on, and you're going to want to talk about it on the show. So I have to, like, do my homework, <laughs> I guess. Um, Your sacrifice is appreciated. Of course. So, I'm you know, I'm here for the people. Ab- Outside of the result, I mean, obviously everyone knows what the result is now, but I wanted to ask you before we dive into the actual game itself, like, what did you think of LAFC's performance in this match against this opponent? So Tigris, uh, we might as well just say it, Tigris beat LAFC uh, 2-1. I had, 
I had just previous to that, uh, while I was waiting for the, the final to start, fired up FIFA 20 for the first time in a couple of months, and uh, and gone up, went up a goal on semi-pro difficulty, so don't hold me to any sort of standard, mm-hmm. and then shipped two goals, went in the 80th, 88th minute, and thought, oh, uh-oh, sorry, sorry MLS, I've let you down, and then the, the way the actual game played out was not too dissimilar to that. To answer your question, I think that one of the things that we, um, one of the things that I often sort of talk about with Mexican teams, and one of the things that we have recently titled an episode, is it's the last 15 minutes that gets you. Yep. Um, LA's performance was was great. They they started. Mm-hmm. Um, they started well. They weren't pressing particularly high because they and because Tigres is very dangerous and they can catch them. So they it, almost that first half was you know uh, the first half which was zero zero was like incredibly tense and they wanted they were doing their best to I think be um, risk averse and and not you know get themselves into a hole they couldn't get out of. Uh, against Tigres, um, but so often the you get you know and I, when Whitecaps played Tigres uh, a couple of years ago, it was the same way where it's like you get out you 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 think you have no hope, you get out of the first forty five minutes without scoring a goal, and you think, hey, hey, yeah, this is pretty good. We're we're nil nil. If we just do that again, we'll win, and then. It all comes tumbling down. Sort of like playing uh, playing against Chelsea circa, like, 2007 to 2010. <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> yeah, you can make it through the first half, and you can probably hold them nil-nil for a while, but they're a professional club, and they, they will find a way to win the game. Um, I, I, for me, what, and I totally agree. I think LAFC played great. Uh, I thought they had excellent possession. I thought they they gave up the right kind of possession. They pressed well when they needed to, and they held back. Like you said, uh, they were really well lined up against a Tigres side and and seemed to know lots about their opponent. And I think that was something that was a big positive for me, is to see an MLS side in the final understand their opponent a little better. Yes. The, The issue for me with that was that as much as they understood their opponent, I don't even think you can take this... Like, we can say... Okay, it's the last 15 minutes that will get you. And undoubtedly, it's a choice to leave Gignac unmarked at the top of the box <laughs> in the 84th minute. Hey, hey, do you think André Pierre Gignac, the, one of the one of the uh, the stars of French football, do you think that you need to to uh, mark him? One of the greatest on players to play the game in our generation. Sure, I mean, send a guy <laughs> up there maybe to to track him. Maybe, maybe just stand him up a bit. But uh, you know, that aside, it, it's. It's a remarkable performance that I think LAFC sh- will be very frustrated by <laughs> because we know enough about Bob Bradley to know that. But I think they should be proud. I think it was an excellent performance. Um, they went one up. They had that, that great goal from Rossi. Mark, Mark Anthony Kay's amazing uh, floating ball over the top. Yeah, um, I thought Mark Anthony Kay had an amazing game. It's a fantastic goal from Rossi. And and certainly in that moment, it's a great time to score in the 61st minute, and they go up one nil, and you think like, okay, maybe this is there's a way in here. 
Um, it just felt like LAFC was never able to to really hang on to that, and that was actually sort of like one of the last really good things they did. And they didn't fall <laughs> apart, but Tigres really turned on the afterburners here. And you just, for me, there is still a gulf um, in terms of the the talent and consistency from Mexican sides to American sides, and it, and it's just a reality. I don't think we need to be super down about it or. Um, you know, it it doesn't take anything away from the amazing achievements of MLS sides. It's just that this last 15 minutes is really where you see the, the difference in quality and the ability to create something out of nothing and to finish opportunities as well. Um, and that's plagued LAFC all season long. It's, it's not for lack of creating chances, but, you know, they had 10 shots. Well, one of them was on target, and that was the one that went in. Um, the passing accuracy was there. The quickness of passing and moving the ball and moving their team was great. I think that's one of the areas where I finally felt like that was pretty evenly matched for most of it, where MLS sides have really struggled. And, you know, we might hang on or we might find a way to get a goal. But uh, it, it's the, ultimately, the pace of the game is just sort of too quick for those teams. And when you're seeing a team that has the next three or four moves planned out versus a team that's got the the next one or two, at some point in the game, that's going to become apparent. And um, again, it, it's not detracting from how good LAFC is or what a good run it was. I just personally feel like we got a number of years still until uh, an MLS side can take a final um, just because of the quality of the sides that are coming through to the final. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. Like, it will come... I just don't know if we're as close to it as people think we are. 2020 felt like a chaos year, so maybe it could happen. It didn't, but um, it's a great game for Rossi. It's a great game for Mark Anthony Kay. And when you think about the, there's a golf in talent, sure, but look at this the the age and the LAFC team and the starting players' ages and and how well they performed at this level. It's for me, it's like it's all positive. <laughs> the I, I definitely agree. They're getting closer. And it's like the thing about the past two rounds is that if you look like um, Cruz Azul didn't take them seriously and got their ass handed to them. Like like that, yeah. like that when you look at those, those previous two, um, America didn't really take them seriously either. And the moment that they realized that they were in deep water, they played the pro wrestling heel and tried to, you know distract the referee and get a quick nut shot. Yeah. But um the uh, metaphorically, uh they 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 started sandbagging the moment that they realized they were in deep water. Mm-hmm. Um and still were were outmatched. But the issue is just, you know, Tigres as, as they would say on the commentary was the team of the century. Who also had never won the the Champions League. So this was their their big moment um that they would have been working towards uh, I think a lot of people were worried about the concacafiness of it all. Yeah. Uh, about after the the America game and and what happened at the end of the first half. Um, the only thing that kind of went in that direction, I think that the, I think there was a little bit of a hackavela strategy yeah. going on, and 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 there were people definitely saying that that the referee needed to be producing some cards. But and um, that's where it's so difficult, right? Is because you just the you just got skewered. From the previous match, not uh, for make you know seeing things that maybe were not there, and I know it's mm. different referees, but like 
uh, yeah, that that does affect it, right? Like that is in the head a bit, and so and it, and it's a final, and I agree, and I'm still very okay with a referee in a final match just letting shit slide and being like, unless it's really egregious, just get on with it because both teams at some point are going to try it, and I feel like both did. I didn't feel like it was a it was a scrappy, well fought match, and there weren't too many things that I saw where. I was like, okay, well, that's blatant games, gamesmanship. It was there, but it was there from both sides. And I, I think the referee overall did a, a good job of it. Uh, it's crazy to me that in this game, in this final, there were no cards given. That's, that's true. A, that's, like, probably a yellow or two should have been handed out. However, the fact that none were handed out is, like, I'm actually okay with that. <laughs> no like, yellows No yellows is actually not the CONCACAF problem. The CONCACAF problem is that one side doesn't get any yellows and the other side gets, like... Three yellows and a red card. Exactly. And so, yes, there were hacks at Vela, but I think there were equal rough challenges on Tigres players, and those also went uncalled for the most part. So, uh, <laughs> as you we say, all know here, we're just a big fan of consistency. <laughs> you mentioned something to me about CONCACAF before, while we were off, Mike. Can you, uh, can you mention that again? Oh, I was just trying to find, like, uh, just bring the page up, because it had been a minute, and so... Like, uh, of course, I just Google CONCACAF because I'm old school like that. And so on the page, you know, it gives me the highlights and the score and who scored and whatnot. And then uh, the little people also ask, what does CONCACAF mean? What does CONCACAF Cup stand for? (laughs) I just said, I have all the same existential questions. I still really resent its existence a little bit. Like, I I mean... (laughs) I don't resent its existence. I just find it really painful to watch. I was very pleasantly surprised by this final. Um, But it just... I think some of it is that people get so... Like, MLS fans in particular get so invested. And we're just like, we gotta win. We gotta have an MLS team. And I just... I'm not... I don't feel like we're there. And so part of me is just like, oh, babies. This is not gonna go well for you. (laughs) Like, the thing is, it, it, I I have this nostalgic connection to CONCACAF for being a, a Canadian men's national team fan for the longest time, a women's national team fan. Um, although that CONCACAF plays a, a, a much smaller role in the life of a Canadian women's team national fan. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, So, like, I have this sort of, you know, charming charming time with it um but anytime you try to explain it to somebody you know what's CONCACAF to say if you say UEFA it's like oh it's the Europe Federation people go okay but it's like it's an acronym that also doesn't have a satisfying conclusion to it you know what I mean like like if you like it's the Confederation of Caribbean, Central, and North American Football Associations. Yeah, we couldn't the have just called you, it the America's Cup. That would have been weird. The person you're talking to goes, "Okay." So it's Carib- <laughs> so it's Caribbean clubs? Yes, and also the United States and Canada and Mexico yes. if you didn't consider them Caribbean. So it's all of the Caribbean clubs and then also sometimes Montreal Central Impact. American and like it's fun to <laughs> it's fun to like you know I like uh, I think that like I like having that be a part of the club scene and I think that 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 integrating you know integrating uh, Liga MX sides 
into the the life of a, a North American soccer supporter only enriches um, the uh, enriches life. Or like you know, Deportivo Saprissa is a is a wonderful club with a great history, and it's great to have you know to to have the the Honduran clubs and the Central American clubs be a part of it. Um, I don't know if the if the answer is to just try and, and merge. I don't know if, if, if a fresh coat of paint will help, but they, this tournament itself is a fresh coat of paint on the CONCACAF Champions Cup, and it's not helping. Yeah. <laughs> the CONCACAF, the concacaf of it all is not helping. Nope. It needs some work for sure. And to clarify, like, I'm not saying it shouldn't exist. It's obviously a very important thing that um, we do, and it's important development, it's important opportunity for... Um, for players and clubs, it also helps build the MLS brand and awareness and all that. So I'm I'm good with all of that. It's just annoying to watch a lot of the time. But I have one more note uh, from this: is that um, we talked a little bit about LASC's game plan um, in in understanding their opponent. But Tigres clearly um, came with the most powerful, uh, most valid game plan uh, game plan of all against the MLS team late in the game. A header off a corner, uh, unmarked towards the far post. An yeah. MLS team's only weakness. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and, and some little part of me is like, I feel like LAFC could do a little better on this, but they've struggled with this all season. Um, they've really become an MLS club in their own right in that way um, by struggling on set pieces and you know, just leaving, carelessly leaving players unmarked. It's not as defensively sound as we've seen Bob Bradley's side before. Um, But that's been a pretty consistent thing with a lot of clubs this season. I think there has been generally a little bit more of an open and attacking style of play. Um, I think as much as we talk about crowds being present and how that hypes teams up, I think it, it can also help calm the game down at points where, um, the you just the energy of the crowd also helps you kind of be like okay there's a lot of people watching here this is a big game this is an important game so you know what i'm not just gonna try every single long ball pass i'm gonna i'm gonna take my time (laughs) a bit and this and without that i think it's just been like a i don't know ball kicky time let's do this but overall very very organized but yeah tigres i think had lafc's number through most of this and um they certainly bent and you know the great clubs are able to do that right the, the a great club is not great because they win every single game or they never concede a goal they're great because of what their reactions to those things are um and when you think you consider uh, 61 minutes rossi scores 72 minutes ayala levels that that's the kind of response you expect from a, a big well-organized moneyed and uh, talented club and i mean ultimately tigres proved that that's what they are and and uh Having never won the competition before, they will whenever the the Club World Cup is. That's that's what they want to prove, you know. And and I love having Andre Pierre Gignac be a part of this competition, but he is a world class name, and he deserves to be on that stage. Yeah, agreed. Um, in terms and of LAFC did not look out of place against him, so well done. Totally, 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 totally agree. Um. The, do we have any other before we jump into uh, our our year end awards to cap off the twenty twenty season that is not yet over? Um, 
The do you have uh, uh, any other news? I saw that um, Leo Messi teasing continues. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's great to dream, but I mean, uh, sure. Look, it could very well happen, but it's still not going to happen for another few years. Um, Messi at any age, I think, is is worth the price of admission for sure. Um, it's just not. I don't think it's necessarily like it's not bad for the league, but I feel like it's kind of like a Zlatan effect where it will talk about it a lot. It'll give us some great highlights if it happens, and then it will be over pretty quickly. And we'll look around and go, did it actually really have any impact on the league? Not really, but it was fun, and that's okay. Um, this, the, this is one thing. If you look at if you if you look at the the Beckhams and the Henri's of the world, you can actually like measure their impact. Absolutely, once they especially were gone. Beckham. There are there are people. That is not the case for every expensive player, but I could see how you you definitely make the the you you're definitely right that I think it would be that in Messi's case. Like it would be really fucking cool and probably not really matter. <laughs> um, a couple pieces of news, um, and we can we'll get more into like the specifics of some of the transfers throughout the off season as things settle a little bit. But you and I have been talking back and forth about this just like ongoing hemorrhaging of players that New York City FC is doing. Oh yeah, that just. I mean, I'm assuming it, it's all part of a rebuild strategy, but it's obviously hard when the first part of your rebuild strategy seems to be getting rid of all of your good players. Um, the latest one being uh, New York City FC has acquired up to $600,000 for Maturita, who was, Oof. I mean, a, a total linchpin for them and such an amazing player. Um, you know, they've also gotten rid of Ring, uh, Alexander Ring. It's just, I'm... I'm struggling to see what the the game plan is here. I'm assuming there is one, but it's been kind of crazy to watch just the number of high-profile players and top names leave this club. Ronald Madaria is such a huge get for Cincinnati. And if you... I would also kind of say that if you are any other team, you have to be asking, how come we didn't get Ronald Madaria? <laughs> If yeah, he was like, available. People, yeah, exactly. Like, wait. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I feel like it's well-deserved. I feel like just the soccer gods may have been on Cincy's side to just be like, let's, we just need to throw them a bone here. Um, But yeah, I imagine a lot of teams were like, wait, what? What? Uh, can we, is it too? Uh, oh, oh. Um, they, They're also selling someone else, aren't they? they uh, I think it's like a younger, they... They sold a younger player to Europe, I feel. Oh, I think they did, yeah. That, and that was a little bit a while ago. I'm just pulling up the numbers here. It's up to $1.25 million in general allocation money for uh, Alex Ring to Austin City FC. That's where he went, Austin FC. Yes. Um, yeah, I think I think we got that. It was the the 18-year, right, the 18-year-old right back Joe Scally went to Borussia Mönchengladbach. Right, yeah, that was the most recent one. Um, Which has been... My, uh, my like sort of adopted German team because Paul Stalteri and Rob Fred played there. But that's, yes, that's I mean, here and there. I, like New York City FC still has Iber. They've still got Callens, Castianos. Uh, 
Scally played four games last year. This is this is definitely a, a youth yeah. move. Um, they're still listing Makai Steven, but I thought there was in, there was talk of him going elsewhere. Maybe not. Um, Matrita's loaned out, obviously. Like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it seems like New York City FC's fans' feathers are ruffled, understandably so. So we'll be tracking that story, obviously, to see what the now response from the club is to pull things in. Um, Pavon that's still, is... That's still, that's still uh, Ronnie Delia, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, to see such a big move without a major shift in management. Like... Yeah, but I, I mean, it, it also makes sense that after a year at the helm to kind of be like, okay, um, you know, assessing performances and... And that's what happens, right? Sometimes you have to make tough decisions to to clear the the decks for new talent to come in, especially in a salary capped league. But it, it's it is hard when you don't know what the the other side of it is just yet. When you've got to wait, and all you're seeing is the player being sent out, and you're like, "What? I but <laughs> we were using that." Um, you gotta clear. You gotta clear space for Leo Messi. You gotta clear out <laughs> space for Leo. <laughs> Sell everyone, and then maybe you can put a bid on and get him for a game. Um, Pavon is still apparently in negotiations. Galaxy and Boca Juniors are still negotiating. It had looked like at the end of the season that was it. Pavon would return, and now apparently they're still talking. So we'll see what comes of that. Um, and then the other Galaxy news is that apparently Greg Vanny, there was legs to this rumor all along, and apparently it's getting close um, and LA Galaxy are finalizing details for him to become the head coach of Galaxy, which I can't believe I just said those words. I'm amazed. Vanny, uh, Vanny has got to uh, just sort of like sit down in a room with Pavon uh, uh, and just like sort of put up a, a, a PowerPoint presentation that just has photos of Sebastian Trevinko Victor Vasquez and Alejandro Pozuelo up there and just be like, do you, do you want to, do you see what I can do for you? Yeah. 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 I but, mean, it, but Pavon is also like, Pavon has been far and above the bright spot for the galaxy over the last two seasons. And I include when Zlatan played for them. Absolutely. I, I think he's a more important player. Agreed. Um, I'm I'm amazed. I mean, Greg Vanny would be great anywhere he goes. Um, and I I feel like I'm beginning to get a little excited, dare I say optimistic, of being able to like LA Galaxy next season with a new manager at the helm and perhaps some attention played to defending. Like, I, I might actually start kind of silently cheering them on a little bit. It would be an I, it, it, amazing get for them. I... Um... I have the opposite feeling. Oh, I'm I'm really ready to hate LA Galaxy. I'm really ready for them to be like able antagonists. Ah, you know what okay, I mean? Okay, like, okay, yeah, yeah. Like I think with Vanny at the helm, like they're they going to games? become they're, they might win games and they're going to be really annoying, which would be fun. Yeah, absolutely. And and not being able to count on easy goals against them, especially <laughs> on the road. Like, imagine an LA Galaxy team on the road picking up points it could happen it could happen it could happen to you <laughs> um 
Do we want to talk awards now? Let's talk awards. Let's let's do some celebrating and some wrapping up. All right. So we uh, we we wanted to do awards, but we don't want to um, to have endless awards, and we we want to uh, respect your time with them. So so we want to have unique. Since awards. when? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Oh, I have... would like to renegotiate this contract, please. Right. You're good. Great point. Great point. Uh, we 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 wanted to have some awards to uh, that 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 said stuff in a, in a unique way. Do we want to do Champion of Our Heart first? Absolutely, I do. Okay, so this one is awarded to the player, coach, team, or group who you enjoyed watching play, whose achievements brought you joy, or who positively influenced the game or the community. And I'm doing my pick first. Yes. Is that it? Okay. So I this one was really hard because there's so many players that are the champion of my heart, and a number of coaches as well, teams especially, I really just wanted to write Colorado Rapids in all caps. Um, however, I picked a player who appeared in the final and had a hell of a game we talked a lot about. And obviously I'm bandwagoning here. Um, but the bright, the champion of my heart this season was Aiden Morris. Uh, the 19-year-old central center defensive midfielder for Columbus Crew came in and filled in for, beautifully for Darlington Nagby. Um, had had a number of appearances this season, um, notably notably at MLS's back, um, and we hadn't really heard a ton about him up until this point. But the reason why he's the champion of my heart is to to have a young player like this, another um, academy prospect um, coming out of Indiana. Like it's just, and then through the Columbus Crew Academy, I. I think the hype about MLS youth talent is is very much real, and if anything, is a little underrated. Um, and I think we're in a, a very uncertain soccer landscape where salaries and and or, um, you know prices of players are all over the place, and some are going up and some are going down. I, I think that American youth players' prices, their stock will continue to rise. They had a fantastic game, and I really hope that next season picks up right where he left off. Um, and it's not just sort of a flash in the pan, but how do you not love that? Like Columbus crew should have by all rights lost that game and Aiden Morris didn't win it for them, but he was certainly an important piece of it. So that's what I put. Absolutely. Uh, we opened the, um, we opened the responses, uh, and Ricardo Bordelon, who has appeared on the show in the past, yeah. um, uh, sent in his as well, and his was not too. His was uh, near to yours, which was Columbus fans who saved their team getting to a final. Yeah. Um, I 100% agree with that, and we talked a little bit about it last week. But, but the nobody deserves it more. <laughs> yeah. To, 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 to have this this moment of than than the fans that really you know kept the team alive and, and, and made this an issue, and and they. Uh, they have, in a big way, been the feel-good story of the league. Um, and then to do it with their backs against the wall. Like, it's just, it's great. I want to give a, a honorable mention to uh, the NWSL, who mm-hmm. dealt in both the league and its fans, um, who have dealt with so much, who put on the Challenge Cup, which was um, tremendous, and uh, the uh, but then also had to deal with an owner... Um, imploding yeah uh had to deal with the 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 rise of 
the WSL in Britain and, and has had to deal with so much, but is continuing to expand and is, is continuing to try and, and ride this thing out and, and, and is only uh, continuing to put the, to grow their reputation in a positive way. So they're, they're great. But the winner for me is Black Players for Change. Hell yeah. Um, the This was uh, in the midst of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. You know, one of the other things that that made everything so, that, that made 2020 so uh, hair-tearingly <laughs> challenging was the was the movement for, um, the, the movement to push back against racial injustice. And um, MLS, anything good that happened in MLS regarding this initiative <laughs> was like specifically feels like it was specifically pushed and spearheaded by this group. It was actual players who were doing it. The, the, um, the gesture at the beginning of MLS is back where every black player came onto the, the pitch was amazing. Um, the shirts, if you ever read the text of the, of the, um, uh, black lives matter shirts, mm-hmm. um, the the continued presence of of um, pushes against racism in MLS is the the reason why it's not tokenistic, and the reason why it rings true and it and it feels um, vital is because it is being pushed uh, by black players in MLS, and yeah. I think that their presence is invaluable. Well put. Um. The golden red card. <laughs> I it's I like didn't a golden, have to, a golden ticket to the tunnel. I didn't have to. Uh, I didn't have to illustrate this. So I, you can imagine in your own mind what a golden red card looks like. Um, is it is it rose gold? I didn't I didn't come up with those answers. So you you can you can imagine that the listener. Awarded to the player who displayed excellence in the field of sendings off in 2020, either through their body of work or through specifically notable ejections. Which is uh, admittedly quite broad category. <laughs> There's lots to pick from. <laughs> With this one, I mean, it, it for me, this felt really obvious, but I, I just couldn't think of anything better i actually went and tried to look and i'm like going through game highlights trying to find a better one i'm like it's not gonna happen it's rudy camacho punching montero's knee come on who uh yeah what a what a red card that was and and to have the the commentators because i think maybe because it was montero being like oh that was gamesmanship and then seeing the the clip of him getting punched in the mcl yeah, like winding up for that hit, and like obviously Montero oh. sold it, but he has every right to. He just got punched in the knee. Like every part of me is going, "Oh, definitely hit the deck and get him sent off." Because if that wasn't seen, like, I mean, I feel like it would have also been effective to just stand there and like shrug him, like shrug at, at him. But Rudy Camacho, you will forever live in my heart, is just the player to completely fucking explode. <laughs> and just like punching a player in the knee as you're like sitting on the pitch is a new one for sure. Not something I've like, seen before, and I decided that that was my criteria for a golden red card. In in uh, in the match against Vancouver Whitecaps on September 16th, uh, my I thought about 
giving it to Pedro Galeze in in the Orlando mm-hmm. City FC uh, New York City match. Yeah. But like, I don't really think that's his fault. Like, like it's his fault, but it's not like a particularly. It was a it was a weird sending off, but not a particularly like notable foul. Yeah, so, it's kind of like an incidental hand to the face, right? Like it's like, all right, he's off, but I've got to go earlier in that same game on November twenty first to Ruan, ah. who got uh, uh, who actually like it's kind of funny that in in terms of both these players, I believe I did look it up, and uh, I don't think either of them got any other reds. This is these were their only those were Camacho and Ruan's only reds this season. Um, but boy, were they good ones. Um, he is hauled down by Gary McKay Stevens. And I had it in my notes initially as a swift kick to the knee. But a lot of people online seems to believe that it, uh, it was a, a, a kick to the groin against Gary McKay Stevens. Yeah. When you're when you're uh, when you're in sort of the 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 dying moments of a one one playoff draw. It took some balls for sure from both players. Uh. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's a good one, good one. And if well, let's move ahead, and and if, maybe Ruan will make another little appearance. Okay, all right. So uh, this is the one that made me want to do. This is the idea that I had that made me want to do awards as much as anything else. The, the that's so MLS moment of the year. Something that can only happen in our weird, wild North American game, whether it's a mid-season rules change, a bonkers moment in a game, or a boneheaded decision when it matters most. This award recognizes a moment that truly makes you say the name of the podcast. Uh, my apologies to what a time to be alive. Uh, <laughs> um, this is uh, this is this, there. I put together. I I racked my brain for. All of the versions of this that I could think of. This one was a hard uh, one, for sure. There were so many candidates. Uh, uh, what was your what was your moment of the year? So, uh, pretty quickly, I narrowed it down to. I was like, it's got to be the the run of play leading up to the PK shootout um, against New York City FC and Orlando. Just had to be. It's like there, <laughs> there's just there's plenty of other worthy moments, and I can try to do a deep cut here and impress people with my like B side knowledge of MLS, or I can embrace what we know to all be true, which is that's the craziest fu- craziest fucking MLS game that's ever happened. <laughs> um, but then it w- then it became a case of well, I can't just say that whole thing. I've got to be more specific. So my favorite part of that, and my just that so MLS moment, is at the point where. Orlando thinks they've just won the PK shootout. So Oscar Pereja runs down the tunnel to go get Ruan, who's been sent off. (laughs) And then misses the call that says no. (laughs) And in fact, we're sending off your goalkeeper. And then has to come back and hear about it after the referee's kind of already explained, but is now also trying to like get the absolute definition of the rules. Like anytime... I'm just picturing somebody in the booth, like on their phone, madly like trying to Google the the rules of the game to figure it out. But the fact that Pereja is like skipping, like jumping and skipping down the tunnel to go get Ruan, <laughs> celebrating a win, for me is like a oh, in that moment, it's like you've celebrated too early. They're like, that's <laughs> you're, the, yeah, you're that's definitely right, that's gonna the... lose. And then because then the fact that they won after that was like. 
literally everything was stacked against them and they, there's no way but it's it's just it's got to be that image of Perea running down the tunnel and being like oh no <laughs> sweetie come back we st- <laughs> I have that I have I for me Schlegel the part of is the part of that moment that sticks out yeah. to me having having them bring in Ryan Rao he he can't play and the commentators give eight different explanations as to why and then they had to put out on a defender who saves and yeah, like if I mean I know that everybody has now um, seen it, but like please just go back to that match <laughs> and watch that PK shootout and just and just look at Schlegel's form when he first steps between the pipes and you just think like oh this one is lost like he's crouching so lo- so low he looks like he's about to tuck into like a forward roll. And you're just like that. That's not how you do that. Um, and then he gets uh, scored against. But then to make that save is just is unreal. What did Ricardo put uh, for that one? Ricardo took us back uh, to the days of that's MLS. That's the MLS tournament uh, to the the heady moments. Uh, and there were a lot of it. There, there's a lot of different moments that that that, that are all wrapped up in this. After Maxime Cropot broke his hand, um, oh. and, and Thomas Assal had to had to uh, replace him, the game after that, they're playing the final game of the group stage against Chicago. They only have one goalkeeper, and uh, he his moment is signing Jonathan Sirua, the the third goalkeeper for the Montreal Impact, to a one game contract to be the uh, the the backup. Because despite the despite the preponderance of backups that must have come to this tournament, third keepers, uh, Vancouver uh, Vancouver's second keeper uh, Brian Meredith had a family emergency and had to leave the bubble, so Vancouver was down to one, and they were trying to get. There were a lot of goalkeepers around. Yeah, but the the challenge, I guess, was that uh, because Vancouver, I think it was eventually explained that because Vancouver is a a Canadian team to borrow a keeper from any other MLS club would have required the Outward movement permit. of his international transfer certificate. Yeah. And it was outside of a FIFA window. So hey, FIFA wouldn't uh, allow it to happen. We gotta, we gotta fix that. <laughs> <laughs> so they're in the bubble. And so they sign Sirwa and the thing, the moment, you know, uh, that is that game. If I can also say is we didn't have it as one of the awards, but it was one of my favorite games of the year for sure. When the uh, the Caps come back after a twenty three minute rain delay to, to win against Chicago when they're missing all these players, uh, and Hassal is playing his is in his first start, um, but they make it through. And Dos Santos says to Sierra, "You're the you're the uh, you're the first keeper ever to make the playoffs for two clubs." Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a good one. I I have uh, a number uh, a number of, of of ones that I've put here. I I, I I'm not going to try and read all of them, but I'm trying going to try and just think of the the Let's just take us take us back and in your own minds, cue your sentimental recap music as Andrew runs us through a couple of runner ups. Colorado and Minnesota's gentleman's agreement not to use Kai Kamara yeah. after after transferring him in, in their next game. We already talked about Orlando. 
Uh, did you realize that Nashville got changed to the Eastern Conference in the middle of the season? <laughs> because I didn't until I made this list. I, I just saw them. They're I think I've realized to... it at least twice and then promptly forgotten until someone brings it up again. Usually you. Uh, I, 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 uh... I think they were fresh enough that I saw them in the Eastern Conference. I said they were in the Western Conference, and I saw them in the Eastern Conference table, and I was like, oh, no, I fucked that up. But in fact, they had started in the Western Conference. Um, the uh, Let's not forget uh, Philadelphia hoisting a cosplay support, supporter shield. Pretty good. Um, the... Uh, Chicharito, before before the season, Chicharito in a video calling his move to LA Galaxy the beginning of my retirement before playing a game. Um, after uh, if, that turned after, out to be more prophetic than he realized. After FC Cincinnati uh, fired Ron Johns for using the N-word in the locker room, they hired Jap Stom and then used a picture of the wrong bald Dutch guy in their Twitter post <laughs> to, uh, to announce him. Uh, there's, of course, the Delloy Hanson debacle where he called players pr- protesting Black Lives Matter disrespectful and mused that it may impact his investment in the league, uh, which prompted two, uh, or a number of articles and investigations uh, from journalists that immediately forced him out of all three clubs that he owned. Uh, because if you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Hey, here's, um, a, here's a hope for 2021. Rather than waiting until something like resurfaces or another thing happens with terrible people, we can just out them and get rid of them at any point. Like we don't have to wait. So just a heads up, if you know your owner sucks, like we, we can be pushing all the time to get that snake out. <laughs> we don't have to wait for more. We we can just be like, Hey, have you ever you noticed how our owner just sucks and is racist? Let's let's deal with that. LA Galaxy lose Alexander Katai, uh, or no, cut Alexander Katai after his wife posts on Instagram that Black Lives Matter protesters should be killed. Yep. Uh, um, the Whitecaps fire Mark Panez, who had been fi- hired for stability and credibility six months into a four-year contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's one moment, and and it stands above all others, and it... it it reaches into the echelon for me of uh, of some of the 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 most twenty twenty moments uh, overall in the culture, and here it is. So last night I knew we were going to do this, and I made a special record. So this record is this is. In honor of George Floyd. And I really hope we can see more unity and more peace when already things are so difficult. So, shout out to his family. So yes, uh, at a MLS and Heineken uh, 
uh, fundraiser. MLS, as a part of its 20th, uh, 25th season celebrations, tried to leverage a lot of big names to bring the league cultural cachet, whether it's the, uh, the Matthew McConaughey commercial mm-hmm. or Hans Zimmer recording, uh, a, a film, a uh, a uh, 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 a movie soundtrack as the as the MLS theme. Also, but, side suggestion if you're bored in uh, quarantine is watch any of your favorite MLS highlights um, and open up a separate window and just play the Interstellar soundtrack as it's happening. It's a great experience. <laughs> anyway, continue, sir. But nothing, no no moment of MLS trying to grab the mainstream relevancy during its 25th season. Uh, clanged quite so poorly as the MLS and Heineken uh, fundraiser involving David Guetta in New York City, which which happened, I want to say, like, the day after mm-hmm. the death of George Floyd. And, and the day after these, these, uh, the day after these, uh, these protests uh, broke out was just like, uh, <laughs> um, it's too bad they couldn't find any, you know, like black soccer players who played in the league to offer a comment instead of a white European DJ. But like, I don't, I don't know how you make these decisions. In a sense, in a sense, I, I guess it must be like, like I don't know. I could accept the argument that this is less like to do with the league's soccer itself, but to me, the fact that he is saying David Guetta is on a. Uh, a fancy DJ stage on a roof of a New York skyscraper as people are marching in the streets uh, for what I believe is a coronavirus benefit. Um, saying, uh, you know, shout out to his family as an MLS logo floats around on the screen. is yeah. just, you can't, you can't have... I'll just say, we're not a great your... species. Like, just... <laughs> <laughs> you can't have messed it up worse than that, I feel. Not, it's not... It's not... It was not a good look. I feel like I sort of erased it from my mind, but as I slowly peel myself off the ceiling from my cringing... It, oh. Shout out to his family, just as burned Not really. The... Well, you gotta heal the divide, you know? <laughs> I will say that, like, one of the, the big highlights for me this year was... Uh, was the focus that the black players in MLS really forced us to to look at and credit to MLS for just stepping out of the way and giving the platform over um although there's certainly you know bumbles and errors there um you know highlighting essays written by black MLS players um over the summer uh, I thought was a really important thing and I learned a lot being able to to hear about and read the experiences of of players and and what was going on in the country and the the racism that they were faced with and the the very real fear for their own lives um i i think it opened a lot of people up to something that's been going on for a very very long time and uh, it, it, for me, you know, this this standout image of the year is going to be at the beginning of MLS's back tournament um and and seeing the unity shown by the black players and um and i mean really most if not all uh eventually players in the league um it, it really understanding that there's 
we're used to trending hashtags. We're used to big news. <laughs> Lordy, we're we're used to big news items. Um, but to understand something on a systemic level and under to, to really shift people into understanding a reality that they've ignored is a monumental task and one that is ongoing. But it it was unexpected to me to to receive that from professional sports. Um, I agree. And, and it wasn't something I was expecting. And based off of things that have happened in the past, I had pretty low expectations of how MLS was going to handle it. Um, and ultimately, it's really the, the Black Players for Change movement that, that spearheaded all of that. Again, credit to the league for just stepping out of the way and give, giving the platform over. I agree. Anything could, like I said earlier, anything and could happen. And let's maybe revise those DJ lists for next year, yes? <laughs> just, just a thought. David, just, uh, it was just, I understand that it must have been scheduled in advance to have that happen. I think that, well, I mean, as, as has happened many times this year, you can't, you, you, you can't know on a Monday what's going to happen on a Saturday. Yeah. Um, in, in 2020, but, but it was, it was a, a golden hearted moment or the, the intention was not fundamentally wrong, but it was so out of touch with what was happening at the moment that it took place. That um, I think out, out of touch will probably be a phrase used more than once as we move forward as well. <laughs> so, uh, so that, did we do it? Did we wrap up MLS I, in 2020? I think we did. I think, and, you know, and keeping to theme, we're already thick into 2021 and we're still talking about 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Will we ever leave that behind? Who knows? But uh, yeah, no, it, it's it was a a very strange season. It was a very difficult season. I know, you know, for everybody listening, you've all been going through your own things as well um, and your own challenges. And um, it's just been nice to, you know, share some time together to talk about something kind of trivial. But I, f- I also feel like, you know, important conversations as well. Um and 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 really, for me, this is the first time I felt like I really understood fully the impact that sports can have um, when 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 the the focus is there, um, you know, and people are actually listening to each other. I think there can be amazing moments for positive change, and certainly been you know a highlight from an otherwise pretty terrible year. Um, getting to, getting to talk about the thing that we love. Yeah, I uh, I definitely have appreciated the the, the value of um, of community that sports can bring, and in, in, including the the community of all of our listeners. Thank you so much for for tuning in, and uh, in my community with you, Nick, in uh, in meeting uh, to continue to to chat about this wonderful wacky league that we uh, that we enjoy. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. And until uh, until the until next time, where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at that's so MLS. You can find this podcast at that's so MLS.com, on Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get fine podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us out a bunch. Where can we find you? You can find me on the internet at Team Bates on Twitter, www.team-bates.com. And because there are 
don't start the season with a suspension. Don't get sent off. 